SAFM. Last week, I received a request via Twitter asking us to put sickle cell anemia on the agenda, so we've invited Dr. Tiny Menga to share his insights with us. We then asked Professor Michael Herbst if preventative surgery really works to reduce the chances of breast or ovarian cancer. But before we get into sickle cell anemia, uh, my lunch bite for today is taken from Meditations for Women Who Do Too Much. And it says a clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. And that's what Mildred Steuben says. But actually, there's nothing wrong with being a clay pot. It says that all of us have the possibility of becoming porcelain. And it isn't quite so simple as just being fired or not being fired. Some of us explode in the kiln. Some of us collapse before we even reach the kiln. And some of us develop horrible cracks that seriously threaten our utilitarian value. Yet probably the saddest response is to have gone through the firing and to refuse to become porcelain. All of us have furnaces in our lives. Not all of us glean the lessons from the firing. Dr. Minga, thank you for your time. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, thank you. Don't worry. The, the, the invoice is coming. <laughs> I was hoping we get in this for free, you know. <laughs> Welcome. I haven't spoken to you for a long time. I, I, I really do appreciate your time. Can we get to it? Because somebody Thanks. somebody called me and said to me, if you want to talk about this, then uh, Dr. Minga is the one who seems to explain it the way we should understand it. What are we talking about when we talk about sickle cell anemia? Shadow, it's a, it's a, it's a medical condition that is, uh, which actually affects basically the, the blood cells, the red blood cells of a human being. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, normally, if you, I'm sure me and you, Shadda, at our age, you remember the, 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 the Cheryl's suite of the past? Yes. Cheryl's. Yes. The Cheryl's, yeah? They're red, hey? Yes, yes. They're, they're concave in the middle, you know, that concavity in the middle? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is how your red blood cell basically looks like. Okay. For normal people. Mm -hmm. Now, and that is caused by the protein, which is called the hemoglobin in your blood. Mm -hmm. That gives it that shape. Okay. Now, there's an abnormal hemoglobin that some people, some red cells have, which unfortunately gives it a, a sickle-like type of, uh, of shape. It's a, it has some kind of what we call polarity. Mm -hmm. So there's got a positive on the one end and the negative on the other side. So because of that, this positive and negative will try to like come together and ultimately end up with a red cell with the shape of a sickle. You know the sickle, the concerto type of sickle, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not it's <laughs> a CP kind of sickle. Yes. That shape. That's why they call it a sickle cell anemia. It's because of the shape of the red cells that you have in your body. Okay, and you said there's a deficiency as far as the hemoglobin is concerned. That's right. Now, now, now because of that, you know, the, the, the smooth ones, like I told you, the channel type, the mm -hmm. red mm -hmm. sweets, all type of sweets mm -hmm. that you made, you used to eat when we were younger, that one makes it very, very easy for it to flow through the blood vessels. And they, they don't bump against each other. Yes, they may bump against each other, but without causing any harm. Now, this one, which has got an abnormal shape, will cause rupture of these cells because it's, it's an irregular shape. 
So as the, as the, as the red cells are flowing through the blood and they pump against each other, they break, they rupture. Hmm. So ultimately you end up with a condition where you don't have enough red cells in your blood. And of course, then the time anemia comes in. And then of course, because of the shape of the hemoglobin of the cell that you have, it gives it sickle cell anemia. And that means then the challenges in, 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 in transporting, as our cells do, transporting oxygen throughout the body. It's diminished. Mm-hmm. It's diminished because the main function of the red cells, of course, which is basically because of the hemoglobin, is to carry, to be able to come into combination, easy combination with oxygen. Mm-hmm. And of course, to be able to discharge the carbon dioxide as soon as the blood reaches the lungs, it should be able to discharge the, the carbon dioxide and carry in its position, in its space, it takes oxygen from the atmosphere so that this uh, 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 blood-charged, uh, oxygen-charged cell can go back into your system and supply your body with enough oxygen. Now, if you don't have enough hemoglobin, if you don't have enough red cells, your capacity, the ability to carry the, the oxygen from the atmosphere is diminished. And of course, you have, that is where the symptoms of sickle cell anemia pitches in. No. You, you feel stimulated, you don't have enough oxygen in your body. You look pale, you become sick. And of course, as you walk around, maybe I should have started by telling you that it's something that you inherit. Well, I was going to ask where, where it comes from, because, you yeah. know, what causes so, it? It's not something that you can acquire after you're born. No. It's not an infection that you get as you're walking around. No. It's something that is, you carry it from your, one of your parents, either your father or your mother. And if you've got both of them carrying this trait of an abnormal red cell, you are going to have it as a complete sickle cell anemia. But some people, sometimes they say, me and you, Shadu, will get married, and you have it. You have a trait. Mm-hmm. I don't have it. Mm-hmm. The child won't be born with sickle cell anemia, but will be born with what we call sickle cell trait. In other words, you will be born with a trait of sickle cell. Mm-hmm. But it's not a disease. He's just carrying the trait. So if he meets, that child goes to meet somebody who, has, who also has a trait. That combination ultimately will result in the off their offspring coming out with a fully charged sickle cell anemia. Now, Dr. Minga, why is it prevalent only within uh, people of African descent? Well, it's not known because even 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 in the states, even in uh, so many other places, Hispanic, we do find it in in, uh, in uh, Spain. We do find it in some of these areas but not to a greater extent. The, the reasons are not known, mm-hmm. but it does not mean that it's only black people who, or African people who get this, but it's very prevalent in the African, uh, of people of African uh, origin. Even in the States, you mainly find it amongst the, uh, the, the Afro-Americans. Now, is there a cure for this condition? Basically, there is no cure. For it there is no cure for it we manage it you will manage obviously based on the symptoms the clinical picture that we see on the patient because you you get tired you know if you if you run out of oxygen first thing that you complain about is tiredness. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. You just want to lie down, you just want to... But beyond that, uh, if, if you're a child who's maybe active, like most people do, people do reach the age of 30, 40 with this condition. So you have to move. And in movement, your muscles have to have enough oxygen. So these people complain of a lot of pain in the muscles. And sometimes they end up with what we call sickle cell crisis. A crisis is where they have a very, very sick, an attack of pain, bodily pain. Mm. They are so painful, and this is a time when these people have to be admitted in hospital so that you can manage the pain. And of course, if the, if, 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 if the anemia is very severe, you have to replace their blood with, uh, you know, with transfusions. Do you know, and, and we're talking now about management, but even before the management and, and, and the pain, if you don't understand it, how else does it prevent, present itself? Um, you, you say people get tired. Um, you, you, you get tired, you get listless, uh, you lose concentration, they are not active. Can you imagine having a four-year-old child who just wants to sit down and do nothing, looking pale. Uh, sometimes they may get pain, but quite often it's just with absence of this oxygen that gives them this uh, uh, listless and laziness, they just want to see that and do this kind of very little. But because of that, you know, because every piece of your, every piece of your red cells uh, at some stage, or maybe let me put it this way, the, the lifespan of a normal red cell, who red cell, takes about 120 days. Mm. And then for the one, the one that is abnormal, like the one with red, uh, uh, sickle cell, because they rupture, they die very quickly. 30 days probably is the maximum, or 30 days. Oh, wow. So now, this puts a lot of stress, strain in your, what we call the hemopoietic system, you know, which is the, 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 the system that you have in your, in, your, in, in your bone marrow that makes and replaces the damaged red cells. Mm-hmm. It puts a lot of pressure in, 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 in that system. So ultimately, you end up with what we call immature red cells. They are there, but they are not mature enough to carry, do, carry out the functions of a normal red cells. And then also, because the, the, the one organ in your body that basically uh, uh, is responsible for, for the rupture and the destruction of these cells, which is the spleen, it becomes large, it becomes heavy because of too much load that it's carrying of these damaged cells. So it becomes large. So when you look at these kids, or even if it's an adult, you find that on the, mainly on the right side, yeah, on the left side of their body, they, they end up with an enlarged abdominal organs mm-hmm. because of the, 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 the spleen that has become so big. A spleen, its function mainly is to destroy and to help your body to reconfigure and take away these ruptured cells so that it can be recycled again, mm-hmm. the recycling center of blood in your body. So it ends up being so big and when they come to us, you just you can actually see this potty bell, you know, a, a belly kind of appearance on the children. Now your skin becomes paler, I take it, and I, I suppose yes. it and, and it, it would then even affect your eyes that look that probably look jaundicey in a way. Of course, of course. With the rupture with excessive rupture of, of red cells you end up being very pale, and beyond paleness is the jaundice, which is the yellow tinge on the skin, on your all your mucous membranes, your eyes, your tongue, your mucous membranes in your mouth, 
the urine and everything about you it looks so pale because of the rupture, excessive rupture of the rupture. Is this is this whole condition painful? Very painful. Like I said, with the extreme part of part of this pain, we call it a crisis. We call it a sickle cell crisis. You know, you know, it, it, it's like even if you touch them, mm. it, they feel so much pain on their body, and even without touching them, they have this extreme severe pain on their limbs throughout the body. And they sometimes have to admit that in hospital for about a year, a, a, a week or two weeks, just to get rid of this pain. The pain is in the joints, it's in the muscles, it's all over the, the body. It's so painful. That's why they call it a crisis. Let's talk about the... Ma- have to sedate. Pardon? Sorry, I, I thought, let's talk about the management a bit, because now that there isn't quite a cure, um, there must be a, a way of managing and living with, with this disease for the rest of your life. Mm. Well, the management is basically very symptomatic uh, because you can't prevent it. Uh, you can't prevent the rapture. It's very difficult to prevent the rapture. You can't uh, encode that which the, 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 the gene that you, you have has already been coded. You cannot encode it. So all that you do is to look at the symptoms. You deal with the current symptoms, which is of tiredness, uh, which is of anemia, which is of pain mainly. So you manage the anemia. You have to sometimes, if it's too severe, you have to replace the blood and offer and give new blood to the patient. But that still won't take away the the problem permanently. And of course, where there is pain, you have to deal with the pain. And sometimes it comes so important that you have to actually sedate these patients so that you can, you know, just for them to get the. Uh, through this painful period. So it's basically symptomatic. Whatever they present with, you reverse it by dealing with the symptoms. Can it can it uh, exacerbate other illnesses that one probably already has, or can it lead to a development of new of, diseases? Of course. I mean, look, you know, so many organs get astray. You know, your body, your body works, in, it's, like, it's like a chain. It's like a chain reaction. If one organ gets a problem, the other one that follow in that sequence. I think the first organ that will get uh, a very severe problem, of course, is your kidney. And then the second one is probably your liver as well. The first one to be hit, it's your, it's your spleen. So yes, ultimately it affects you. And people sometimes may die of kidney failure. The ones that I've seen quite a lot coming, most of them, unfortunately, don't come from South Africa. We've seen a lot coming from Central Africa. For what reason, I don't know. But lots of them that we've seen and referred to the big hospitals, come from Central Africa, places around Congo, places around Kao, places from around any part of Africa in the Central region. Mm. This is where we see quite a lot of them. And they end up, most of them, they come here because we have to dialyze them because of the damage to the kids that is as a result of the severe anemia. Now, for people who who want to have children um, and may, I'm supposing that everyone listening to this would want to go and get tested or get or consider maybe some genetic counseling to find out whether they carry this trait or even both of them, you know, carry the disease itself. Um, What is your advice? And and at what stage should they consider this this kind of I suppose call it call with, it. With, with all these genetic conditions, uh, it's safe to say stay away from your cousins and sisters or your brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even try to help you that even one of your family members. Just in case you're carrying a recessive gene, it may just uh, 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 express itself fully. 
when the two of you meet. If your cousin has it or your brother has it, mm. and you have a child together from some reason or another, there's a big chance that if it's not even a big chance, it's a definite chance that you are going to have a, a combination of the two. And then, of course, this, this condition will fully express itself. So, first of all, stay away from your close family members. Don't have children with them. <laughs> Number two, yes, it is important. Wherever they, there is a suspicion uh, that they could be, then you go to the doctor. When you, when you take a blood, they do a basic full blood count. And when they do a hemoglobin analysis, they can see if your cells are the abnormal ones. And then they can inform your partner. You can decide and inform, of course, you'll inform your partner that, listen, this is what I have. If it's just a trait, it's fine. Uh, if he doesn't have it, it's okay. You are not going to have a child who's got sickle cell anemia. Like I said before, you could just be carrying a gene, but it's not, if it's not paired with the, uh, a partner who has a similar trait, there is no danger, absolutely no danger. But of course, you just have to, 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 to perpetuate this condition. Dr. Minga, does it present itself differently between men and women, or are the, are the symptoms I, I very similar? Not at all. Not at all. It's, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same thing to both. It, it happens. The symptoms are basically the same. The incidence is basically similar. So you see, I, I just can't remember the actual uh, uh, statistical figures, but it's basically the same. There's no differentiation at all. So in other words, if you are going to have four children, for example. Uh, both you and your partner carry these traits, you're going to, all your children have a 100% chance of developing this condition. And they, they will see probably equally. You know, so it, it doesn't, there's no, there's no sexual differentiation. Okay. I'd like you to please stay on the line for me because I, I heard again from, from some of the people that in, wanted us to talk about this that uh, it, it, it presents some kind of priapism, they called it, uh, um, for males, which, which affects... <laughs> Well, I want you to please uh, stay on the line while we do that and, and we're going to take news headlines in a bit and we'll come back and just let you expand a bit on, on the priapism and, and of course gallstones apparently are also uh, affected okay. quite a bit Otherwise, on SAFM My guest is Dr. Tani Minga We're talking about sickle cell anemia and I've just asked him uh, before we end the show about priapism. Can you explain what that is, Dr. Minga? Well, priapism is a, it's a, it's a prolonged, you just start with erection. When you have an erection, your, 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 your penis is full of blood in the blood, in that spongy material of the penis. Okay. And, uh, and this can come and go. It's not, not as you wish, <laughs> as it's supposed to happen. Because you, can, you have no control at all mm. uh, from the matter uh, as to when to get an erection and when it should disappear. It happens, uh, you have no complete control. It's not, it's not a voluntary thing. But if it happens that you get an erection, it's simply because there is sufficient blood that is gushed into the, into the, into the muscles or into the spouts of the penis. And then, of course, when it disappears, it disappears because then the blood flow back to the system has, has started again. The channels have been opened back again for the, for the blood to flow back. Now, in the case of a priapism, yes, you have a gush of blood going in there, but it fails to come back. Mm. It fails for some reason or another. And I can give you an example, a very good example, 
common with the ones that we've seen with this kind of crap is it is where it is damaged to the to the to the blood vessels. Remember I'm saying blood vessels, not the blood cells, the blood vessels which is the spongy material of the penis. So like in most cases you see people who use uh, needles or inject injectables mm. to to start up an erection. Mm. Then they damage the blood vessels. Then there's bleeding, external bleeding into the into the tissues and this ultimately forms a clot. And once it forms a clot, it's not able to flow back into mm-hmm. the system. Mm-hmm. So you end up with a massive, painful, prolonged erection. And that is preapism. Over time, apparently, though, it could cause lead to impotence, eh? Of course. I mean, preapism, if you don't deal with it within, the, within 12 to 24 hours, uh, the damage to the, uh, to the lining of the, of, the, of, the, of the blood vessels, it's gone. It's finished. And of course, you have to go to the hospital where they do what we call an evacuation of a clot. And of course, they have to try and restructure uh, uh, the penis for you because it, once it's dead, it's dead. It cannot respond anymore. It cannot allow blood to come in. And we talk about very small channels here. It's, it's very, they are very microscopic. And once they're damaged, it's damaged. The, 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 the lining is it's damaged, it's damaged forever. You cannot, uh, you cannot recover. So they have to go and do a reconstruction where they can give you maybe an artificial organ or anything of that nature, depending on the advancement for medical knowledge. Lastly, can we talk about the gallstones? Well, of course, you know, about the gallstones that are caused maybe by the, the anemia of uh, yes, because you know, your, 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 your liver, as I said, your liver and your pancreas are overwhelmed by this excessive uh, destruction of the cells with the jaundice ultimately. And this Somehow it accentuates or promotes the, 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 the development of stones because everything in there is abnormal. Mm. And of course, you end up with a with a, the gallstones. Of course, they come basically from the from the liver itself into that sac and then through the duct coming out into 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 your into, into, into your duodenum. So yes, there's a very great chance that you may develop gallstones as a result of excessive destruction of the red cells that you get with sickle cell anemia. Dr. Minga, it's been such a pleasure just talking to you and thank you for explaining it so, so well. Um, may I get your, your, your email address? Because I'm sure there are going to be people who want to get hold of you and talk to you further about what, what they're experiencing. I hope, I hope you still know how to, to pronounce and spell my name. M H I N G A. I know yes, that very well. One. Yvonne would not forgive me if I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's Minga at icon.co.z. Minga at icon, I C O N, mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Dr. Minga. You're welcome. My love to Yvonne, hey? Thank you. Thank you, darling. Take Bye. care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. That's Dr. Minga. And Minga spelled M-H-I-N-G-A. M-H-I-N-G-A. So it's Minga at icon.co.za if you want to have, have a further discussion with him. But coming up, Professor Michael Herbst, who's head of health at Cancer Association of South Africa, talks to us about preventative surgery. We read an article that was written by Angelina Jolie, and she's going on to her second surgery to reduce her chances of getting cancer. Does it work? We'll find out from Professor Michael Herbst after this. Otherwise, on SAFM.
Professor Herbst, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Otherwise. Good afternoon to you and to all your listeners. Afternoon. Did you read that article I'm referring to? Yes, I'll tell you, we were expecting uh, queries and calls around this. Yes. So I, I think we are rather prepared to inform the public. Well, d- just let's go there. But because she's now, firstly, she removed her breasts. Yes. And because now she, she had the, the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene uh, defect. And that increases one's risk for breast cancer. But as we've now learned, because of her having had her ovaries and fallopian tubes removed, that it also increases the risk of ovarian and fallopian tube cancer. Wow. By removing them? Uh, Well, it reduces the risk if one removes them. But the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene that increases the risk for breast cancer also increases the risk for ovarian and fallopian tube cancer. Now, tell us, what is the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not familiar. Uh, it, it is written as BRCA1. Okay. And it means breast cancer gene 1 and breast cancer gene 2. They've been identified as genes, and if people have a mutation of those two genes, this is men and women, they have an increased risk of uh, breast cancer. But in the case of women, also of ovarian cancer, we have not seen sufficient literature to tell us that it increases the risk of any other specific cancer in in men. But for women, definitely ovarian cancer as well. Okay, now please tell us, and the reason we invited you was, what what does one need to do first before you you make these decisions of whether to go and, and have these surgeries or not? I think it's very important that people who know their family history and know that they most probably may have inherited a BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene defect, that they uh, go for genetic uh, counseling. So they go to a geneticist in collaboration with a medical practitioner. And if they have the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene defect, then it is important that they must take a very careful and informed decision of whether they want to have the ovaries and uh, fallopian tubes removed or not. The scientists and the gynecologists and so on had a bit of a problem to defend Angelina Jolie's decision to have both breasts removed. The reason is there's always some breast tissue that remains behind, Mm. so there is still a risk of breast cancer. But by removing the ovaries and all the, well, you can't and all, the ovaries and the fallopian tubes, they are gone, so the risk is definitely removed. Okay, so but that is really a much more informed and wise decision to prevent ovarian cancer to have the ovaries removed. And the, the uh, scientific literature tells us that women with a BRCA1 gene defect should look at this uh, possibility of having the ovaries removed around about age 35 to 40. Mm. Mm. And women with a BRCA2 gene defect should look uh, at the possibility uh, and in careful consultation with a geneticist and an oncologist to look at maybe age 40, 45 in the case of BRCA2 gene defect. Can we go older, 45, 50? 
Well, you know, if you, if you go into 50, then, uh, well, of course you can, but the risk <laughs> increases so much more because we know age is really a major risk as far as cancer is concerned. The older we get, the more mutations we have in, in our genetic makeup and the more chances there are of a person developing one or other form of cancer. Okay, so it's, it's really probably too late when you're in your 50s. Well, no, no, look, it's never too late. But one shouldn't, you know, run off and have this done at 25 and uh, remove the possibility of ever having children. You know, because these are all considerations that one must go through. That is why I say a geneticist in collaboration with your medical practitioner and preferably an oncologist who specializes in cancer to tell you what your risks are and whether you should rather have your family now and then have it done or is your risk so high that uh, it becomes a matter of urgency. But it's a, it's a very important decision and it must be an informed decision. Are there ways of, of and you said maybe the, 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 the ovaries and fallopian tubes are, are more uh, successful in, in, in fighting against the cancer, and unlike the breasts themselves. Are there ways known that would eradicate the, the, the possibility of a breast cancer uh, totally? Because if you well, are going you know, to... Mm? The mere fact that uh, a woman has ovaries, that already increases the risk for breast cancer because we know that most of the breast cancers survive and, and thrive on estrogen, mm. which is produced by the ovaries. Mm. Mm. So once the, the, the ovaries have been removed, that even reduces the risk further for breast cancer, and especially the... the uh, estrogen-dependent breast cancers. Mm. So, so one then, I, I, I suppose, one should, if, any, if you do any of these operations or the surgery, then one should probably begin with the ovaries and, 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 and the fallopian tubes. Well, that is, it is scientifically more sound. Mm. But again, you know, it's a very individual thing. And the other issue, of course, is it, it's, it's not cheap. Look, medical aids will not uh, fund uh, prophylactic uh, mastectomies. Mm -hmm. And I am not convinced that they may even consider funding uh, prophylactic oophorectomies and oophorectomies now the removal of the ovaries. So these are all considerations that one will have to take into account to find out if you are a high risk, to motivate your medical aid, unless, of course, you've got the money and you can pay for it. But if you depended on medical aid or you've got no insurance, then you've got to make sure that, that you can afford this type of surgery. And it becomes a, a very important, informed decision that must be taken. And, and people should understand that it's not reversible, right? You, you, of course. You can't go back yeah, and say, can when, we... When it's gone, it's gone. Now, tell me, does one have a normal life, though, without, without those organs that you've removed? Well, look, the moment one has one's ovaries removed, the woman will go into menopause. And that means for, for the rest of her life, until about age 50 and maybe 55, to go on to hormone replacement therapy. And that's with, with, with tablets or whatever else is, is used. That's right. And, and that, again, you will decide on the, on the best way of doing this in consultation with your, your uh, 
health professional. Are there are there side effects of these hormonal therapies? Known side effects? Well, it all depends. You know, if if it's combined therapy, you know, again, there is scientific literature that tells us that. Uh, some hormone replacement therapy combinations tend to increase the risk of cancer, but this should be done in consultation again with your health professional to decide which is the best method for you to go on, uh, what hormone replacement you should have, and uh, what type of hormone replacement it should be. And then one can have, uh, in inverted commas, a normal active life again. Professor, what about the Cancer Association and how of South Africa? How do we engage with it as women, especially women? I talk for women here, but I suppose men too, because they also are susceptible to, to Absolutely. cancer. Absolutely. Um, they can visit our website, www.cancer.org.za, and there are over 150 fact sheets available on the website covering every type of cancer imaginable and even some of the conditions that aren't cancerous in itself but which if neglected may uh, change over into cancer so there's about 150 to 160 uh, fact sheets available on the cancer website they can also phone Mm -hmm. the toll-free number Mm -hmm. and that is a very easy number to remember it is 0800 Double two, double six, double two. Double two, double six, double two. But what sort of marketing? And I know, you know, there's been this shave-a-thon and cancer drives and all of those kinds of things happening. But what sort of marketing, especially in the rural areas, uh, how, how far is your reach as far as the education and, and the making sure that uh, everybody understands how, how to, how to um, uh, identify the symptoms, if any, or understands how to deal with it when they, you know, the symptoms, ex- exactly that. You have touched on a really very, very important aspect, and that is access. And we know in the rural areas people really have a major problem with access. And we at the moment have... One, and uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a drop, really. But we have one mobile health clinic per province that goes out on a regular routine scheduled visits throughout the month in each province. And if there's somebody out there listening who wants to be philanthropic, they can really get into contact with us and say, we'll sponsor another mobile health clinic for mm. you to go out into the rural areas because mm. really the majority of our population are still dependent on public health services and access in the rural areas is really problematic and we need to increase and improve access for those people i think we'll keep that for another program professor but thank you so much for your time and, and sharing your Thank you very much for having me on your program. Thank you. And let's keep it healthy and let's do everything in our powers to reduce, to reduce our risk for cancer. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Professor Herbst. A lovely day to you all. You too. And you may reach uh, the Cancer Association at 0800 226622 or website cancer, cansa.org.za.